Well, it is great to see all of you uh, here. See you better now. I see you really see you. I couldn't see it. I was great to see you. I couldn't see you. It's great to see all of you here. Uh, we have people starting to come back to worship. It's great having you. We're going to have to sneak another row of chairs in at some point, I guess. It's good to have you all here. Uh, those of you watching online, it's good to have you all. Uh, whether you're a guest here or online, I'm David. I'm the pastor. Uh, we are excited about things coming up. We didn't know if we were going to have Vacation Bible School as Joe was sharing. We're so excited about it. Joe got so excited about sharing Vacation Bible School, he gave you the dates. Never gave you the month. October. So we're delaying it. I'm just kidding. It's July 13th through the 17th. The New Testament um, was written for believers. The New Testament really wasn't written. Those books, those individual books, really weren't written for lost people. Uh, as, as time moved away from the time of Christ... Men like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, realized they need to give accounts of the life of Jesus so the church would have them. So the church could take those accounts to share the gospel, but that's why we have them. The, the letters that were written uh, were written to individuals, to churches, followers of Christ. If you're not a follower of Christ and, and you read the New Testament, you can become a follower of Christ. That's the beauty of it. You understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's why we love it so much. Sometimes it can seem strange. Sometimes it can seem a little distant. Uh, but, but once you become a follower, it becomes, it becomes understand it. The light kind of begins to be shed on it. Some parts of the scriptures, the New Testament, are, can even be a little more difficult if you're not a follower of Christ. But as you look in on it and, and begin to see it and read it, there's stuff there to help you want to do that, become a follower. We're going to be in a chapter that, that's that way for the next two months, June and July. We're going to be in John 13 uh, in a series entitled The Night Before. And this is, this is a chapter that, you know, when you see the events, this is about Jesus and his disciples, disciples, his apostles, those guys. But we can look in on it and learn some things, and people who are not followers of Christ can learn some things. Uh, all four Gospels talk about the night before the crucifixion. Matthew, Mark, and Luke focus on that Last Supper, that what we call the Lord's Supper Communion. John was written 20, 25, maybe even 30 years after those books. And what John focuses on, really, is from John 13 to John 17, he focuses on some things that Jesus taught. We call it the farewell discourses. He taught some stuff. 13th chapter, he's doing some things. He washes the feet of the apostles, and he teaches a little bit. John 17, he, he uh, prays the high priestly prayer. And John 14, 15, and 16 is the main bulk of the teaching uh, at the end of July, July 31st, a Friday, we're, we're going to do what we call a deep fry. It's, it's when we come up here from 630 to 10 and I just teach straight through. We're going to teach those three chapters, John 14, 15, and 16. But for the next two months, on Sundays, we're in John 13. I'm not beginning with John 13, verse 1. I'm actually beginning again with the ending of John 13 in a passage that I'm going to preach from twice. Uh, once at the beginning, once at the end. John 13, verses 34 and 35. What we see is the new way for his followers. Jesus gave a new way, a new way for his followers to live. And so this is what it says there. A new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, you also love one another. By this, all people, all men, everyone will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. So, as we begin this whole series, I want to ask this question. It's a very simple question, but it can be really hard to answer. What does love look like? What, what does love look like? 
for you. We come and we start off by seeing in this verse here, these verses, something old and something new that exists. And it concerns love. Um, we live in 21st century America, and we have certain values in a Western culture. And those values, in our worldview, are founded on a, a Christian view of the world. Whether you're a Christian or not, it doesn't really matter. It's just our, our culture is founded on that. Talked about it many times. You can look it all up. Even people who are secularists, agnostics, atheists understand that. I was reading from an atheist this week who says Western civilization depends on Christianity. Even though I'm not a follower of Christ, I understand that. I mean, it's just the way it is. But in the first century, our values that we have today were completely opposite. I mean, Christianity was such a foreign concept. Um, it was a world and a culture in the pagan society, the Roman society, built on power and built on selfishness. You live for yourself. You live to accumulate power. You simply were not concerned about other people. It just didn't enter their mindset. It just didn't think that way. It was all about self. It was all about power. And then Christianity comes in, and it's, it goes in the opposite direction completely. It's like the East and the West. And one of the things that really defined the way Christians lived was the sense of love. At the end of the second century, the, the, the Tertullian, the heathen, said this about Christians. Behold how they love one another. He said they, they love each other. It was a foreign concept. Cecilius, who was a pagan, said this about the followers of Christ. Even before they know one another, they love one another. And this it didn't dawn on them. I mean, examples of how Christianity was so radically different. When it came to the, the sick and the dying, back then when you were sick, when you were dying, they didn't care for you unless you were wealthy and you could pay for it. They cast you aside. They put you away so you could go off and die. And they did not want to catch whatever you have, whether it's an illness or some you know, demonic force. They didn't want you near them. Christians would come along and they would take the sick and the dying. And at risk to their own life, they would minister to them and they would help them and they would love them even while they died. See, the pagans and the Romans, they practiced social distancing. The Christians just said, no, we're going we're gonna to be here with you till the end. It was radical. When it came to infants in the Roman culture, they, they, they had this concept called an abandonment. It wasn't the choice of the mother, but the father didn't want the baby for whatever reason. Didn't matter what the reason was. He would have the baby abandoned. They'd take the baby out to the elements. Usually there was a location. They would take the kid in the location of a deity there. And, and their view was it's up to the gods, it's up to the deities to save his life. And the kids would die of the exposure. Animals might come and take the kid. I mean, the, the baby, the infant would die until Christians came along. And started taking the babies, and, and they would take them into their own homes and raise them as their own children. Because they loved them. This was so crazy to the pagans. And the pagans just began persecuting and, and the church, and they were trying to destroy Christianity. And Christianity just kept growing and growing. And the reason Christianity kept growing was because they loved. They loved. It's their way of life. Why? Because Jesus said to the 11 men that remained, because Judas had gone to betray him, as you go out to begin this thing, this Christian movement, this is the new, the brand new command I give to you that is radically different. You love one another. This was on Thursday before the cross. Two days earlier, the Jews were trying to trap Jesus and trick him and get him to say something to discredit him. And so... They, they, they had one last question to ask him. And depending on which of the gospel accounts, 
a scribe came up to Jesus, and some say to trick him, but he actually, even though he was there on behalf of a group to trick him, he had a real burden. He wanted to know. He, it looks like he was being turned towards Christ. So he said, this is a common question. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, it's real simple. You love God. He quoted Deuteronomy 6.5. And then you love. You love one another. You love your neighbor as yourself. Luke 19.18. Here's the thing. The Jews had a very narrow concept of neighbor. They could deal with that. To them, the neighbor was any other Jew, but it excluded all non-Jews, all Gentiles. Well, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And, and in that sermon, Jesus is giving the basics of what it means to be his disciple. So he begins early by saying in Matthew 5, 17, I did not come to do away with the law and the prophets. I didn't come to do away with Scripture. I have come to fulfill it. I am the one fulfilling Scripture. And then a few verses later, in verse 43 and 44, he says, you have heard that it was said. In other words, the, the Jewish leaders tell you, love your neighbor but hate your enemy. And they all say, yeah, that's what they say. He says, but I tell you. No, Jesus says, I, Jesus, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to be my follower, I tell you this, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Then he comes a couple years later, right before his death, and he looks at those guys and says, this is the commandment. I want to make it clear before I leave. I want you to make it, understand, it's crystal clear. You love one another. So we might ask the question, how is love one another new? Because there has been this concept of love. And so he kind of, in these verses, we see how love for one another is new. First, there's going to be a new word for love. Now, Jesus spoke Aramaic, a form of Hebrew. Sometimes he would speak Greek. But in the early church, when they wrote everything out, they wrote in Greek. And so they, capturing the concept of what Jesus said by love, and he may have even used this term, what we call agape, agapao. That most of you, if you've grown up in church, you've heard of agape, love. Well, in, in Greek culture, there were four basic words for love. Four basic words. Two of them are not found in the New Testament. The most common word not found in the New Testament at all is eros. We get our term uh, erotic from it. And it is a love that deals with pleasure. Pleasure for you, pleasure for someone else. It, it, it fulfills certain needs. It is, it is that kind of love that's broad. It's, it's very similar to our just generic term, love. There was another term, sterke, which had to do with kind of a, a, a love that was basically expected, a love of a parent for a child kind of thing. Another word, uh, philia, the verb phileo, we see a lot in the New Testament. John uses a lot interchangeably, almost with agape, and, and that is an affection. It's brotherly love. It, it's the love of friendship, but it's an affectionate love. It's, 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 it's emotional attachment involved. But the word that they use most often in the New Testament is a word that is probably only found once or twice outside of the New Testament. It's the word agape, and outside of the New Testament, you really don't know what it means. This is just this obscure word, and, and they took it, Jesus probably took it uh, when he spoke Greek, but they took it, and, and they began to use it to explain what love is. So John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, agape, it defines what it is. It defines the object of love, which is the world, and it says what love is, that he gave his one and only son. So God had this love for the world that he gave, he sacrificed that which is most important to him. So agape really has the concept, the idea of a love that is sacrificial. 
It is the giving of yourself, the most important parts of you. It is the complete giving yourself over to another. It is an unbelievable commitment. You love like God loves. The love had a new focus. It was one another. Now, he's not just saying, you just love your own selves, guys. You just 11 of you. When this book was written, it's probably a minimum of 50, and maybe as many as 60 or more years since the cross, since this event occurred. Christianity is now defined primarily as being a Gentile movement. Jews had rejected Jesus early on. Then in 70 AD, Jerusalem's destroyed. The temple worship's destroyed. And so there's aren't, there aren't a lot of Jewish Christians. John's one of the few ones left, probably. So one another would, would obviously move beyond these 11 Jewish men to encompass all of those who were followers of Christ, include Gentiles. What Jesus is saying is simply this. In order for you guys to do what I need you to do, which is to reach lost people, you've got to love one another. Because if you don't love one another, it'll never happen. These guys, you just read the stories about them. They were bickering. They were fighting. You got Peter and James and John, the big three. And they're arguing about who's going to be at the prominent place and all of this. <clears throat> and so Jesus says, it has to begin right here. You've got to love one another. That becomes their focus. He gives them the reason for it. It starts with Jesus. He says, I give you. I, Jesus, am giving this commandment. So what makes it news is it's coming down from Jesus. It's coming from him. And then he gives an example. He says, you love one another as I have loved you. His example is his own love for them. And the greatest example of that love has yet to come. Because it is the cross of Christ. <clears throat> A little bit later, Jesus is speaking to them. And in uh, John 15, verse 13, this is what we find Jesus saying. Greater love, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, Jesus is saying, you know, you, you talk about love. What's the greatest love? On a scale of 1 to 10, what is the 10? There's no 11, it's 10. He says, love is seen and giving your life for your friends. You're my friends. Now, we, we might think, well, hey, Jesus said that, you know, we, we, the scriptures say that he died for everyone. That's what we preach. He's just saying he dies for his friends. No, he's not just saying he dies for his friends. Friendship is, is a very close bond. He is speaking just to these guys. He's not speaking to everyone. He says, I want you guys to know, this is how great my love is for you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to lay down my life for you because you're my friends and I love you. Then he says, my friends will always obey my commandments. If you guys are truly my friends that I'm dying for, you're going to go and obey my commandments. We might put it this way. No later love does a person have than the fact that he lays down his life for those to follow him. And you follow him when you do the things he tells you to do. What does Jesus tell you to do? <laughs> love and make disciples. We are to be followers of Christ. He says, follow me, follow me, follow me. About the time John wrote the gospel, he wrote a companion piece we call 1 John. And in 1 John, he lays out what it means to be a Christian. In, in, in 1 John 3.16, you've heard of John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 is pretty important too, and this is what he says. We know, we know love by this. He laid down his life for us. Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought also then 
to lay down our lives for the brethren or for one another. How do we know what love is? Jesus died for us. And once we become his followers, we lay down our lives for each other. John wrote that in a time of persecution when Christians were being put to death. And one of the ways they could escape death was to rat out other believers. We die because of our love for one another. We might ask the question, how will people truly know we are your followers, Jesus? He said this, this is how people will know you're my disciples, that you love one another. And that's foreign to what we think sometimes in church today. Sometimes we think, well, how people know we're really followers of Christ? Well, our theology, by what we believe, listen, what we believe is important. I've said many times, and I've probably said a couple times this week, not everything is theological, but theology is everything. What you believe matters. Don't get me wrong. There are churches right now that are struggling over doctrinal issues, and it's, and it's causing a lack of love. That's what happens. When you have debates and the battles over theology, love starts to dissipate. So I, and I'm, and it's, what you believe matters. If there's false belief in our church, well, I'll end it. I'm the pastor. I'll end it quickly. I mean, we're just, we're just not going to have that because it kills love. But that's, that's not what, people, listen, people don't care what we know until they know we care. People out there that don't know Jesus, they don't care about our theology at all, ever, ever. I've never heard a lost person care about my theology. Lost people care about how I live, how I love. No, nor is the mark of discipleship ministry. Ministry is important, yeah, 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 it's important. I, but, but the ministries we do are the result of love. They're not in place of love. And here's the thing. In our county, in Don Yanny County, Troy Tudor and I were talking right about the time he came on staff. He said there's over 140 organizations that exist to take care of the needs of the poor and the afflicted social organizations. And if you count all the other things, churches and all that, it's probably over 200. I mean, it's lots of them. Lots of people care about this. There's nothing wrong with caring about the poor. We should. Here's the thing. <laughs> Understand this about Jesus. And I'm going to say, it's going to sound strange. But Jesus never fed the poor ever in the gospel. You say, well, you fed the 5,000. Yeah, 5,000 people came to listen to him. Some wealthy, some poor, some this or that. That was just the men. He fed them because they were hungry. On another occasion, he fed 4,000 for the same way. Jesus never went into the neighborhoods to feed the poor. Now, in Matthew 25, Entrance to the kingdom of God, he's going to say, blessed are you who fed the poor and gave them some food and something to drink. But he's saying that is the result of your love. It's never the place of your love, ever. Here's the thing. How do people out there truly know we're followers of Christ? Because they don't care about our theology. They can get help from anywhere. Here's how they know we're followers of Christ, by our love. They will know we are followers of Christ by our love, beginning with loving one another. That's how they know. Because here's the thing. If we don't love each other, we can't pretend to love them. They're going to know we don't love them. You can't pretend to love the lost if you don't love the other followers of Christ. Who wants to join this group if we don't love each other? The problem for so many churches isn't they have bad theology. Or that if they don't love Jesus, the problem is they don't love one another. 
and their church is broken apart, and no one wants to be a part of that. Because that's how the world lives. It's not how the Father of Christ lives. So here's what Jesus, this is Jesus. Here's what he's telling those 11 guys. With all their bickering and all their fighting, here's what he's saying. If you guys don't learn to love one another, what I started will fail. That's right. If you don't learn to love one another, this will all fail. Which brings us back then to the question. What does love look like? What does it really look like? Different guys word it different ways. How I word it. Um, some people say, will word it, uh, how shall I show people love? Um, Andy Stanley at North Point Community says, what does love require of me? I've heard guys say, you know, what would Jesus do in love? And it's worded different ways. I just say, for me, I'm a visual guy, what, is, what does love look like? And you think about it, for your family, what does love look like for your family? You know, what does love look like that? I mean, shouldn't a family be a place where love looks like forgiveness, kindness, tenderheartedness? Shouldn't love look like that? should. You know, family. Families are some of the meanest places you, you could ever be. There are some of you, at Chris, you hate Christmas because you got to be with family, and you got family you just don't like. I don't get you. But think about it. I mean, think about a child who grows up in a family without forgiveness and without love. You know, the one thing a child should always know is a child grows up. They can always come home. You know that? A family, need, home needs to be the place a child, no matter how old they can always come to. When Kelly went off to college, wrote her a letter. So I was proud of her and all that stuff. And I said, no matter, no matter else what happens, no matter where your mama and I live, baby, you can always come home. To me, that's what love looks like. What does love look like in the church? I mean, think about it. How many churches have rivalries, have bickering back and forth, have gossip, you know, Shouldn't a church, a church is a place of community. Shouldn't we share, when good things happen, shouldn't we share joy with one another? Hey, instead of being resentful that something could happen to them. Shouldn't a church, when something bad happens, shouldn't it be a place where we share our sorrow instead of privately snickering and kind of be glad that it happened to them and not to me? Like, thought I had that coming. Churches should be the place where when people walk in, they experience love. What should love look at where you work? That's hard. Some of you say, well, I work with morons and idiots. I feel you. I do. I know what you're going through. Shouldn't you? They're probably thinking the same thing, but only a whole lot worse. Well, yeah, at least I ain't you, you blank, 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 blank. Shouldn't love be a place of patience in your workplace? Patience. A lot of, a lot of you work with lost people. I can't say that, I think. But you work with lost people. Shouldn't you be? patient with them? Shouldn't, shouldn't you have a little bit of just, I don't know, understanding? What about, what does love look like to people who can't stand you, but more than this, to people you can't stand? Do any of you have people you just can't stand? Don't raise your hand. I'll just raise mine. I'll do it on behalf of all these. Some of you wanted to, and you're looking, okay, I don't know. It's over the other side. Oh, there are people I can't, I know, I love them in the Lord. Yeah, I know, but I can't stand to be around them. Should not love have a little bit of compassion, empathy for them? Shouldn't love, I don't know, look like maybe reconciling with them just a little bit? Yeah. 
What should love look like when you're dealing with, with lost people? Man, does, it, does not love look a little bit like mercy? Because, you know, they're lost, they're rebelling against God. Wouldn't, wouldn't love look a little bit like sympathy? Because you, you, they're in a tough place. Wouldn't, wouldn't love look a little bit like, well, I don't accept who they are, their lifestyle. I mean, I don't accept everything they believe. Wouldn't love look a little bit like just entering into that world just a little bit so I can at least connect with them so that I can help pull them out of that world to Jesus? Wouldn't love look a little bit like that? What's love going to look like in our life? Think about this. How does this one simple question, what does love look like, impact your life? Think about how could it have been impacted our lives if we lived this way in our past? How many, how many marriages would have been saved and families would have been held together if this was the practice? How many times would we know people who were lost who would have come to Christ instead of still living in rebellion? If this has been the question asked over and over, how would life be different if we live that way? How will the future be different if we live that way now? Because we can't change the past. Listen, Jesus tells us very clearly that we are to love people, we love God, love others, and we go make disciples. How do we love God? We worship. How do we love others? We witness. How do we make disciples? If we really love God, I'm going to help people come to God. If I really love other people, I'm going to help them come to God. It doesn't change. It's who we are. So if we really love people, then here's the thing. Our biggest concern must be that people don't follow Jesus. That must be our biggest concern. And we're going to begin to love one another. We, we have to be concerned about people. And if we don't love one another, if we're, if we're too busy battling here, how are we ever going to be concerned about the people out there? So it begins with loving one another so that then we can in turn go show love to other people. Now, we live in a time, and this, we live in a crazy time. It, listen. The culture we live in right now, and the turmoil, if you, you know, I'm 59, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, seen this before. Doesn't mean it's not serious, but we've seen it. And so I'm going to say some things, because it's important that we, we understand this from the Christian perspective. I don't care if you're young or old. I don't care if you're conservative or liberal. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. But we do not take advice or direction on love from society, culture, or the social media. We take it from Jesus. You understand this? We must be understanding. We take our concept of love only from Jesus. I don't, I don't care what you're involved in. I don't get involved in all that stuff out there. That's fine. Love never. So love never. Love never reveals itself in violence. You understand that? Love. Let me say it one more time. Love never reveals itself in violence. Love never disguises itself in hatred, animosity, bigotry. It never does that. Love never communicates with profanity and insults. And love never looks for authority from either the first or second amendment. Love is always derived from Jesus. Nowhere else, no way else, no how else.
So here's the question we must ask. What does love look like? And the answer is simple. Love looks a lot like the cross. That's what love looks like. And as a follower of Jesus, I understand that love not only comes from Jesus, love looks like Jesus, and as a follower of Jesus, I want to live with that kind of love. So when we say, what does love look like? Well, it doesn't look like me when it doesn't look like you. It looks like Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, then that love doesn't make sense to you. So the first thing I might say to you is maybe the whole issue for you is that you don't know Jesus. You've never trusted Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus is talking to his apostles. He's talking to followers. He assumes that they follow him, and so he knows they follow him. And so the first thing to ever have that kind of love is you need to follow Christ. If you've never trusted Christ, that's what you need to do. You trust Jesus. You don't, you don't, you don't trust society or culture. You don't, you don't trust other people. You trust Jesus with your life. And so just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. I'll be here, a couple of pastors will be here. And if you want to come and trust Jesus to be your Savior, do that. Now, for some of you, you're already a follower of Christ. Well, how are you loving right now? Who is, where is that person out there you need to love? Who is it that you don't really love? Well, what's love going to look like when this sermon's over for you? What's love going to look like on Tuesday? What's love going to look like next Thursday? What is love going to look like for you and that person? It better look a lot like Jesus. And from this moment forward, are you willing to ask yourself every day, God, what is love going to look like today? Were you willing to make the commitment to say, God, today, what will love look like? And say, I want it to look today, I want love to look just like Jesus. We invite you to make that type of commitment, that type of promise to God. If you want to pray with one of us or talk to one of us to join our church, we'll be right here. But here's what I want to be sure that you do. I want to be sure you walk out of here today knowing exactly what love looks like. So, Father, praise you. Jesus just lays it out there for us. He lays it on the line. doesn't hold anything back. Love is just about him. That's all we can do, Father, is love like Jesus. So I pray in the name of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will love just like Jesus loves. And we will, first of all, give our life to Jesus and trust him to be our Savior. And second, we will make the commitment that tomorrow and every day that follows, when we ask the question, what does love look like? It'll look like Christ. And live our life that way. In his name I pray. Amen. Would you stand? We'll be at the front. We'd love to have you come. So come.